And we are we've been working our way through. Uh, I think Bobby was able to preach to you guys last week, started off chapter 15 with you guys. Is that right? Yeah? yeah? All right. That's good to hear. <laughs> um, we're going to pick up where he left off. So we're going to look at Acts 15, verse, starting in verse 36, and we're going to work our way into chapter 16, verse 5. It says this, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Ascends our reading of God's effective word. May all who hear it be strengthened by its transforming power. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, be the gospel? Ever hear that one? Or how about this one? Live the gospel. And of course, there's one of the more popular slogans, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. <laughs> Ever hear that one? The, the, the sentiment in each of these sayings is that the gospel is something that is to be lived out, that is proclaimed by our actions. Here's the problem with that. The gospel is not something that we do. It is something that was done by Jesus Christ. It is the good news that God became a man and that he lived the perfect life that we could not, right? And that even though we are sinners, he, he then chose to die for our sins, taking on the penalty that we deserve. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating the, the enemy that has plagued us ever since the fall ever since sin entered into our world. And after Jesus rose, he then ascended into heaven where he is now ruling over all of his creation. And this, my friends, this is the gospel. It is what Jesus did and not what we do. And yet in the same breath, Christ has empowered his people by sending them out with his Holy Spirit. And the reason he empowers us is so that we might proclaim this good news to all nations. 
And so, no, we, we don't live the gospel because the gospel is everything that Jesus has done. Rather, we are to proclaim this Jesus, proclaim this gospel to a world that desperately, desperately needs him. And so as Christians, we, we, we do not look to our own works for our salvation. We do not look to our own works for the salvation of others. But we look to the works of Christ because that is where salvation is found. Often I, I hear people saying, well, well, God could never use a person like me. I could never be good enough to be used by him. That's, that's just a lie. In fact, God only uses broken vessels when he grows his kingdom. And that's because it's, it's not about our actions, right? Our, our actions are not what save people. Rather, it is the gospel. And the gospel brings power to our actions. And, and this ties into the message that we heard last week, right? If you were here last week, if you remember, Bobby shared with us how with the, with the new influx of Gentile converts to the faith, there, there, a disagreement arose regarding what was required for their entrance into the kingdom. Should, should circumcision be a requirement? And after all, circumcision was required for Judaism. So why wouldn't, why wouldn't it then be required for, for the faith that Judaism was pointing to? I mean, if Christianity emerged from the, the Jewish religion, then it only makes sense that, that certain things would carry over, right? And yet for Peter and for Paul and for many others, this became a gospel issue. For, for what Christianity truly is, is a new covenant. And thus there are new guidelines on how to enter into that covenant. And this new covenant, what is it? It is a covenant of grace, not of works. And so there is nothing that is required on our end. You see, if there is some form of work that a person must first do, then it is no longer a covenant of grace, but it has become, once again, a covenant of works. I mean, think about it. If circumcision was the requirement for getting in, then then. What was the point of Jesus fulfilling the law for us? If Christ's work was not enough, then what kind of good news is that? To, to, to require circumcision or any other form of obedience to the law would once again place the burden upon man, diminishing the work of Christ and the grace that he delivers. No. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And if we try to remove that word alone, then we no longer have the gospel. Well, this dispute that was taking place within the church was heated, and so a council was formed in Jerusalem to decide whether or not circumcision was necessary for Gentiles to enter the kingdom. And fortunately, wiser heads prevailed and the grace of Christ won out. 
No burden of the law would be placed on these Gentile believers. Rather, they would be welcomed in on the merits of Jesus Christ. In other words, Christ is sufficient. And we should thank God for that. And thus, a, a letter was written, a letter to be delivered to all the churches, informing them of the decision that was made by this council. And, and here's what that letter said. Look at, look at Acts 15, verses 22 through 29. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. And so as you can see from this letter, the conclusion that they came to was that there was no requirement for entrance into the kingdom other than repentant faith in Jesus. And the few things that, that, that were asked of these believers to do, they, they, they were not requirements, if you will, for entrance in. But they were written down in order that, that the ongoing witness, that their ongoing witness to other Gentiles around them would be unsullied. Bottom line, if you're going to make requirements for entrance into the kingdom, well then where do these requirements begin and where do they end? Right? If circumcision is necessary, then what else is necessary? What, what about the dietary laws? What about the keeping of certain festivals? No, right? Either salvation is the free gift of God or it's not. And you can't have it both ways. You're either saved by grace or you're saved by works. And yet the gospel of Christ, the, the, the good news of Jesus is that he has done the work for us. He has paid the penalty for our sins. And so if we turn to him with repentant faith, then we have already been welcomed into to his kingdom. And this is crucial, right? For, for what we'll discover as we go through our text for today is that, is that this message, this message of his grace, that God will use it to both strengthen and to grow his church. And in fact, that is the point of this little section that we just read. Luke is describing how the decision of that Jerusalem council had a great impact on the kingdom. And yet, just, just like we had confusion today with the cookies, right? The, the way this message gets out is very, very messy. And it is full of human weakness, as we soon shall see. 
And yet the Lord was able to use the frailties of men in a most unique way in order to further the gospel. And that's because God moves his kingdom forward in spite of us. Let me repeat that. God moves his kingdom forward in spite of us. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. I mean, he is the one who saves, not us. He is the one who changes hearts, not us. And so even when we are, we are living life in an imperfect manner, even, even when we are knee-deep in our own sin, God is still able to advance his kingdom forward. And he does so through our weaknesses. Let's, let's see how this came into play. Look, look at chapter 15, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Here, once again, we see Paul and Barnabas, right? And Paul has this great idea. Let's visit all those churches that we had planted on our first missionary journey. And Paul's desire behind all this was born out of his concern for these churches, right? He wanted to see how they were doing, whether they were remaining in the faith or not, whether they need to be strengthened. But not only did Paul want to see how these churches was doing, but this would also be a good opportunity to deliver that letter, right? The letter from the council in Jerusalem. Paul wanted to give them the good news regarding the decision that that, that Jerusalem council made concerning circumcision. Hey, so far, so good, right? Paul comes up with this great plan, and, and Barnabas is in agreement with this plan. They, they, they both thought this was a great idea, that they should visit these churches one more time. And yet this great plan ran into a snag when they were trying to figure out who should go with them? Look at, look at the next couple of verses. Look at verses 37 through 39. <clears throat> now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Now, what's going on here? I mean, what, what happened to our dynamic duo, right? This, this, this group, this, this partnership that God had used so greatly for so many years. Why do we see this sharp disagreement between these two men? Men who had partnered with one another for so long. What does Luke tell us? that they were parting ways over this other man named John Mark. Well, who's he? Let's, let's, let's remind ourselves of who he is. If you recall, he was the son of a woman named Mary, the same Mary who held a, a prayer meeting in her home when Peter had been arrested. And we know that John Mark was a cousin of Barnabas. And so it makes sense that, that Barnabas would want to bring him along, Right? But that's not all we know about him, right? He, he also went with them on their first missionary journey all the way to Cyprus. And yet when they continued on after they left Cyprus, he went back. And then elsewhere in Scripture, we discover even more. 
we discover that he would eventually work very, very closely with the Apostle Peter. Even in one of Peter's letters, he is affectionately called a son. And this John Mark would, would take what he had learned from this apostle who had been so close to Jesus, right? I mean, he was one of the three, Peter, right? So John Mark would take what he had learned from Peter and then would go on to write one of the Gospels. This is where the book of Mark comes from. And yet in our passage for today, this Gospel writer was the subject of a dispute. Why? Well, he had abandoned both Paul and Barnabas on their previous journey. He, he had left them shortly after that trip to Cyrus, refusing to go into the, into the region of Galatia. Uh, we don't know the exact reason why John Mark left them. But, but for Paul, this was, this was cause enough to, to not leave him behind. You see, the, the approach that the Apostle Paul took when it came to John Mark was an approach that was concerned about readiness. Was John Mark qualified to be a missionary? Would he be loyal? Would he persevere when, when, when things got tough? Could Paul trust this man to carry out the mission? Does John Mark have what it takes or not? And if not, then, then according to Paul, he should just stay home. Barnabas, on the other hand, took a more pastoral approach, wanting to build this man up through more hands-on discipleship. Yes, John Mark had abandoned them in the past, but, but that was a mistake that, that he could learn from and grow from, right? And how, how would we ever know what God was doing in his life unless we allow him to come along? And bottom line, Paul didn't trust the man, yet Barnabas wanted to take him under his wings and give him a second chance. So, so who was in the right? Was it, was it Paul? Was it Barnabas? Should, should Paul have shown a little more grace? Should, should Barnabas have taken the mission a little bit more seriously, realizing that they couldn't risk having one of their companions abandon them again? Luke doesn't tell us who was in the right or who was in the wrong. And I don't think Luke cared. <laughs> what, what, what he does care about is how this sharp disagreement led to a departure of ways. And so in, in, in that sense, they, they were both in the wrong, right? For they let this one issue break up something that was good. A partnership that God had used so greatly in the past I mean, now, now, now think about this. It was, it was just last week where we saw an excellent example of the church coming together in the midst of a great dispute. And, and that was over a matter of first importance, over a gospel issue. And yet now here we see such stubbornness, a stubbornness that led to a dissolving of a great partnership. And over what? over a matter of far less significance, over who to take with them. I, honestly, one of those two men should have caved. One of them should have given in for the sake of the gospel. 
and yet they were both too stubborn. And that is why we see this split. And yet, as I said before, God moves his kingdom forward in spite of us, right? And God would actually use this separation for his own purposes. I mean, look, look what happened next. Look at, look at verse 39 through 41. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. You see, because of their dispute, because it couldn't be resolved, they, they decided to part ways and go off in different directions. Barnabas took with him John Mark, and Paul took with him Silas. And as ugly as this seems, what this parting did was is, is it actually created two missionary teams. Two teams who could cover more ground than if they had remained as one. Barnabas and John Mark traveled to Cyprus. Paul and Silas headed, headed off in a different direction, traveling through Syria and Cilicia. And, and notice how Luke ends this little section. And what were these men doing after they had parted ways? They were strengthening the churches. In other words, in, in spite of all their failings, God was still able to use these men to carry out his will. And so we see that even in a, a contentious situation, God in his providence was able to use this separation for his own kingdom purposes. The churches grew stronger because Paul and Barnabas went separate directions. God moves his kingdom forward in spite of us. Perhaps you are here today and, and you think, God could never use someone like me. That you are too flawed. That you are too sinful. Let me tell you, that's, that's not how God's kingdom works. Yes, God wants you to crucify your sin. Yes, God wants you to grow in character. But as long as you are on this side of Christ's return, you will always have to deal with your flesh. You will never be perfect. And yet God wants to use you nonetheless. He, he wants you to be involved in his kingdom work. Even in my own life, there, there are many times that I, that I feel like I'm just not worthy of what God has called me to do. And honestly, I'm not. Who am I to come up here and, and preach to you? To preach to God's children? I mean, I'm just a sinful man. And yet, for some reason, God has called me into this ministry in spite of all my failings. Paul and Barnabas allowed a, a minor issue to fracture their partnership. And yet God was able to use them in all that stubbornness to strengthen his church. And that's the power of his grace, is it not? He, he's bigger than our sin. 
And his kingdom's going to grow because he is the one who's powering it. And yet there's more that God was doing behind the scenes as we shall soon see. Look, look at our next chapter. Look at Acts 16, verses 1 and 2. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Now, before we start talking about Timothy and who he is, I want, I want you to first take a look at, the, at this map. Do we have the slides up? No slides? Well, don't take a look at this map. <laughs> I'll just explain it to you. <laughs> um, basically, Paul, on his, his journey, on his first missionary journey, he went to the sea first, and he traveled to Cyprus. And then after he landed in Cyprus, he went further and north, and then he traveled all the way back this direction towards where Lystra and Derby was. And he had, they actually, Lystra and Derby were like the last two cities that he, that he went to. And yet now he was traveling the other direction, and, and he was hitting these cities first. Um, and in God's providence, this, this turned out to be a boon for Paul as he met this young man named Timothy, a man who was a believer in Jesus. And if you know your Bible well, then you, then you will know that this Timothy ends up being one of Paul's main disciples. And yet if Paul would have stayed together with Barnabas, most likely he would have taken a different route, heading first to Cyprus and then to the cities of Perga and then Pisidian Antioch. And he may not have met this Timothy until the end of his journey. Or even worse, he may not have met him at all. And yet because of the split, Paul came to Lystra near the beginning of his journey. And he was able to meet this Timothy right, right off the bat. Again, God moves his kingdom forward in spite of us. He has a plan. And he uses our weaknesses in that plan. So, so what do we know about this Timothy? From our passage here, we, we understand that he was the product of a mixed marriage, Right? His mother was a Jew, his father was a Greek. And yet, outside of the book of Acts, we, we discover much, much more about this Timothy. For in, <clears throat> instance, we, we know that his mother's name was Eunice, and his grandmother's name was Lois, and that they had instilled within Timothy from a young age knowledge of the Scriptures. Look, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Here we see Paul writing to, to his disciple. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so these two women, Eunice and Lois, they had instilled in this Timothy from a young age the word of God. And yet, even though they seem to be devout Jews, for some reason, this Eunice, Timothy's mother, ended up marrying a Greek man. 
and faithful Jews don't marry Gentiles. Something is going on here. We're, we're not sure the reason why she married a Greek, but, but the fact that she did should give us pause. For it is an indication that, that this family was somewhat Hellenized, that they had conformed to Greek society, to, to Greek norms. Even the names, Eunice and Timothy, were Greek names. And so in, in some way or fashion, this Jewish family was waiting knee-deep in, in Greek culture. And yet they were not completely submerged, as they still studied the scriptures and made certain that Timothy knew his scriptures as well, even as a boy, even though he was only half Jewish. Basically, what this, what this all boils down to is that Timothy's family was a mixed bag, right? They had their feet planted in both worlds, and yet somehow God had rescued them. Now, most likely it was when Paul and Barnabas had come to their city years prior that they heard the gospel being preached and they believed. Yes, these compromised Jews were now converts to the Christian faith. And this just shows us another example of God moving his kingdom forward in spite of us. Well, uh, the message of the gospel reached the heart of Timothy, this young man, and he became a faithful, faithful follower. And in fact, he was so dedicated to Jesus that his home church within Lystra and even the church in the next town over had, developed, had, had seen this man as a, as a solid, solid believer. Luke tells us that he was well spoken of by the brothers. Now, think about this. Paul's mission was to bring the gospel to both the Jews and the Gentiles. But not just bring the gospel to them, but then to plant churches so that these Christians could thrive. And I'm sure one of the toughest jobs that Paul had was, was trying to bring Jewish converts and these Gentile converts together as one body under Christ. And yet here was this young man who fit both categories. He was half Jew and he was half Greek. And not only that, he was a man of good reputation. A man who had demonstrated faithfulness to Jesus it's almost as if God had prepared Timothy to be a disciple for Paul. Because that was Paul's job. And this is why we see in our next verse, Paul wanting to bring this young Timothy along with him on his journey. Look at, look at verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, I know there are going to be some of you out there who are confused by this verse. I mean, wasn't it just last week that Bobby taught us that Paul was against circumcision? In fact, wasn't he bringing a letter as well as Silas, a representative from the Jerusalem church, saying that it was not a requirement for, for these Gentile converts to be circumcised? 
And yet now he was having young Timothy being circumcised. What's this all about? What's going on? Is Paul contradicting himself? And this is where Timothy's family background becomes so critical. I mean, let's ask the question. Why wasn't Timothy circumcised to begin with? Why wasn't he circumcised like all good Jewish boys? Shouldn't that have happened on the eighth day? Well, if he had had a Jewish father, it probably would have happened. But he did not have a Jewish father. He had a Greek father. And because fathers had the final say on how their children were to be raised, this meant that Timothy was to be brought up as a Greek and not as a Jew. And so even if his mother Eunice desired to have her son circumcised, she wouldn't have been able to do so. Her Greek husband wouldn't have allowed it. And yet for Paul, this somehow posed a problem. Why? I mean, Paul had been arguing, right, against the necessity of circumcision for salvation, and yet now he wanted Timothy to get circumcised. Why? Well, what does Luke tell us? That it was because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So, so what does Luke mean by this? Basically, that this was all about Timothy entering into the gospel work. If he was going to be welcomed into these Jewish communities, communities who still needed to hear the gospel, then he would need to be circumcised. He would need to be seen as a Jew and not as a Greek. Look, look at 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. Here we see the words of Paul. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. This right here was Paul's attitude when it came to gospel ministry. He was willing to make sacrifices that were not required of him, all for the sake of having the opportunity to share Jesus with the lost. And Timothy was just as willing to make these same sacrifices. This was why he left home. This is why he got circumcised, so that he might have an impact for the gospel among the unbelieving Jews. Timothy was willing to become all things to all people. And thus we see that there is no contradiction between Paul's words and Paul's actions. Timothy's circumcision had nothing to do with his salvation, but it had everything to do with his ability to share Jesus with those who were lost. 
I remember when we were serving in Thailand, there were, there were numerous things that we had to do in order to, to gain the respect of the Thai people. For, for example, Thai culture is very big on, on saving face. And so it was very rude to say no to someone when they invited you to do something with them, particularly if they invited you to eat, even when that food didn't seem very appetizing. I remember one time having to eat this soup that had these huge chunks of congealed chicken blood. Probably the worst thing I've ever eaten. And yet I did my best to swallow some of those down in order that I might be able to preach Christ to my Thai friends. Now, now that is just a, a small example of what it means to become all things to all people. But, but this is the type of mentality that, that Paul and Timothy had when it came to the gospel. In order to witness to the, to the Jews in that region, Timothy would have to be circumcised. Or they wouldn't have listened to him. And this brings us to our last two verses. Look at verses 4 and 5. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Luke now caps this little section off by summarizing what was accomplished as Paul visited these churches that he had planted in the past. He now had two traveling companions, right? Both Silas and Timothy. And they were delivering the message from the Jerusalem council, reaffirming that it is by Christ alone that one enters into God's kingdom, that it is not by works. And as a result of this missionary visit, Luke tells us that not only were these churches strengthened, but that they increased in numbers as well, that they were growing daily. And when you think about this, it it only makes sense, right? For the message that was being communicated was both a message of unity and a message of grace. Unity in, the, in that they were now given a common belief regarding the salvation of the Gentiles. And grace and that even the uncircumcised were to be welcomed into the kingdom. And because of this message, the churches grew stronger. For there would be no more bickering No more disagreement between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers over what was required of them. And these churches were growing as well because their evangelistic message was now clearly defined as circumcision was no longer an obstacle barring the Gentiles from Jesus Christ. And this, my friends, is the power of God's grace. It's how he reaches the world. It is how he strengthens his church. And, and the great thing about this is that it isn't dependent upon us. It isn't dependent upon our good works. It isn't dependent on us being these perfect servants. Rather, it is dependent upon what Christ did for us. 
And so we don't need to be the gospel. We don't need to live the gospel. We simply need to proclaim the gospel. Proclaim what Jesus has done. And we trust that God will do the rest. And that's because he is able to move his kingdom forward in spite of us. Praise God, am I right? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you are a God of mercy. That our salvation doesn't depend upon us, but it is completely in your hands. Your grace is unmatched. And we thank you as well that the message of your kindness, that the good news of Jesus Christ is the true power that saves. That the growth of your kingdom and the strengthening of your church doesn't hinge upon us, rather rather that you move your kingdom forward in spite of us. And yet even in our failings, you allow us to be a part of this kingdom work. And that's just another demonstration of your grace towards us. You you didn't have to use us, but you choose to use us. And so we praise you this day and give you all honor. You are our Savior. You are our King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.